1: Good afternoon. This is Radio Maria live from London, and I'm bringing you a very, very special guest this afternoon, Father Jim Blount. Father Jim, can you hear me?
2: Hello, Elizabeth. Yes, I can hear you.
1: Thank you. You're now live on Radio Maria, broadcasting across the United Kingdom and indeed around the world, because we have lots of listeners who listen on our website, Live Player, and on our app. So, Father Jim, is a priest of the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. Is that right?
2: That's right, Elizabeth. It's a Catholic religious community founded in the United States of America in the year 1958, on July the 16th. So we celebrate our feast day every year with Our Lady of Mount Carmel.
1: Amen. Father Jim is here at the Rosary Shrine St. Dominic's Church in London, where our London studio is, and he has been leading a fantastic conference since Friday evening. So despite flying in and giving the conference with a bit of jet lag, he's agreed to come and speak to you to share a little bit about uh, what he shared with us at the conference. The huge church was absolutely packed. I think a lot more people turned up than expected. And that is because Father Jim is very well-known. He has a worldwide ministry. He travels around the world giving conferences, retreats, healing services, and he is an exorcist. So, Father Jim, could you just um, give a few words about how you came to be where you are, um, traveling around the world and packing out churches?
2: Well, it's it's a wonder to me, Elizabeth. Everything is... According to God's providence, um, I don't think it's um, good to seek for any sort of glory or glamour, so I'm the most surprised of everyone of what God has done with my ministry. And it more or less uh, began, as far as um, the public realm, with a few good friends placing some of my talks um, on the YouTube Uh, They never bothered to ask me. They just put them on the YouTube, and uh, they took off like a rocket. And So they've now been like more than, I think, uh, more than four million views already, and I had nothing to do with it. I thought, well, that's the best way for things to go, if God himself is in charge of the ministry, not myself. So everything I say and do belongs to him, and he's taken it off this way. And I suppose that um, one of the great gifts of my life is that I have suffered a lot in my life, from my childhood and my teenage years. And so suffering a lot, um, it gives me um, a heart that is compassionate for Jesus on the cross and for his beautiful people. Uh, suffering like this has sort of a, made me more aware of what people are going through. And so I think that when I preach and when I speak, I'm completely aware of the pain of God's people in the pews in front of me. and I try to speak from where they are, like St. Uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman, he said that heart speaks to heart. And I, I believe sometimes when we preach, we're preaching from our heads as priests, and most people don't live in so much in their heads, we need to preach to their hearts. And so when I do speak to God's people, the truth of the gospel, I try to preach in such a way that it it also penetrates their hearts and their souls. Thomas Aquinas um, did teach us at one time, and we're here at a beautiful parish that is run by the Dominicans. St. Thomas Aquinas, he once stated, he taught this in several of his, his books, that whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. Whatever is received, is received according to the mode of the receiver. So when we uh, speak or preach, teach or write, we need to shape our words to reach the one who's listening to us. Not to expect them to climb up a ladder to where we are, but we might need to climb down a ladder or up a ladder to where they are and so preaching in that way it seems to have touched many many people and i have been amazed at what i have been witnessing around the world and i am truly grateful to god for using a very small instrument to do something quite wonderful
1: Amen. That was certainly noticeable during the weekend, Father Jim's incredible love for each and every person and uh, the healing service last night. I think we broke all the rules and kept the church open past its bedtime. But everyone commented on the incredible love Father Jim had for each and every person. And it does remind me of Medjugorje where the visionaries asked Our Lady, by what method did Jesus pray all night? And she said, love for souls. So we see that same love for souls coming through Father Jim. And Father, this weekend, in a very particular way, you did, in fact, focus on fatherhood and God the Father. Could you just give a few words about why fatherhood is very important uh, in our times?
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. It's such a profound question, really. Um, one scripture verse that always comes to my mind is this one from our Savior, from Jesus. Jesus actually said, I've come to gather for my Father a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So in other words, the Lord never said this, I've come to gather for myself a people who will worship me in spirit and in truth, and yet he's God. Jesus was centered on his Father, and he died on that gruesome cross that I could be centered on his Father. And so to quote that again, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the infallible words of sacred scripture, said to us, I've come to gather for my Father a people who will worship him. And so Jesus himself, he proceeds from the Father and leads us back to the Father. Now, another angle to this is in my work in the Deliverance Ministry. I'm actually an exorcist by training. And I've had some unique experiences of seeing angels and seeing demons and fighting the evil spirits and asking for the assistance of the good spirits. And what I notice is this. Satan um, hates God the Father. Uh, Satan hates all fatherhood. Satan hates all authority that's because Satan is rebellious you see and his battle cry is I will not serve so anyone who has that battle cry within them of not serving, they're always going to rebel against authority that's Satan's middle name he hates authority especially the authority of God the Father and therefore Satan is out to destroy every remnant of the father on the earth. And that would be, of course and especially, he fights against every uh, type of fatherhood that's legitimate and holy. That is, the priestly father, the priest's father, and the natural father, the, the husband and father of children. Satan wants to destroy every last vestige of fatherhood on the face of the earth. Because he hates the Father, therefore he hates the children of the Father. Because he hates authority. He wants to emasculate every man in England and every man in the world, so that men can no longer exercise their authority. So this is what we see when it comes to the issue of fatherhood today. Something that's good and glorious. God the Father is the origin of all that is good. Not some not most, all that is good, comes from the Father, and he's reflected in Priest Fathers and in Natural Fathers. Our enemy wants to destroy this, basically because he would like to take over every life and every nation. So the issue of fatherhood is something incredibly important, it's very important for every man to become a father, one way or the other. Uh, naturally or supernaturally in some way every man is called to be a father so this is what partly what this conference was about it's an incredible healing and what I see in England and in many places in most places around the world is a huge father wound that so many people are wounded by their own fathers or the lack of fathering There's a great need to reconcile our brothers and sisters with their natural fathers and with their Heavenly Father, and not to think that if my natural father wounded me, or offended me, or crushed me, that that's an accurate reflection of the Heavenly Father. He's unutterably beautiful, and everything beautiful in your life comes from Him that beautiful wife of yours, that beautiful sunset and sunrise, the roses, all the flowers and plants and trees and animals, all of it is from the Father. All things were made by the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. So the Father is unimaginably beautiful, and He is so beautiful that the angels in heaven are in awe of God day in and day out. They never get tired of it. And one day we want to enter that place where the glory of the Father is revealed to us. And when it is, we need a special grace called the beatific vision that we can bear the power of the beauty of God. It's so strong and so majestic we could not bear it without a special grace. Thank God for God, my dad used to say. Thank God for God Himself and for the Heavenly Father
1: you mentioned during the conference that um, you felt there was an orphan spirit. Could you just say a few more words about this and, and what should somebody do if listening now and, and they feel, yes, you know, I didn't have a father or my father mistreated me. You know, they realize that they do have that, that orphan spirit. What, what advice could you give to somebody?
2: Well, the first step, if I've had a bad friendship with my dad, the first step really is forgiveness. That God really, he's limited in showing me mercy if I'm not merciful to others. The same walls I put up in my heart against the one who hurts me, that also walls off God. So the first step is to tear down that wall between me and my dad and to begin a process of praying for my dad and forgiving him. We do have a method that we use in my ministry called the Four Steps of Forgiveness and i would be glad to to send you a copy of that elizabeth to radio maria in case you want to get that on to others but there is a way to forgive people in the holy spirit and the very first step is to make a decision just like jesus decided to forgive me at calvary he made a decision it wasn't that easy he didn't slide into calvary he marched up a hill with a decision He made a decision to forgive me, Father Jim, when I was still a stinker, when I was still a sinner, he decided to forgive me. That's the essence of love, is a decision. So the first step in forgiving your father, the creator of your father wound, is to make a decision, well, Jesus died for me when I did not deserve it. I will forgive my daddy. Maybe he doesn't deserve it, but I'm going to forgive him as well. So forgiveness is the first step in this healing. And the second step is just as important. And that is very biblical. And that is, the Bible says, return a blessing for a curse. So if my dad yelled at me or cursed at me or was absent from me or was cold towards me, believe me, that's a curse. That's a type of curse. We don't want to return a curse for a curse. If my dad was mean, don't be mean back. If my dad was cold, don't be cold back. The Bible says, return a blessing for a curse. So the second step to being freed of this loneliness of the orphan spirit is to begin blessing the one who hurt us, no matter what they've done. God has blessed you and I undeservedly. And so we begin to become like God when we begin blessing those who have offended us. The benefits, though, are manifold when I begin blessing my dad or those my father figures, I am blessed at the same time. It is hard to remain in loneliness and grouchiness or hatefulness when I am blessing the one who hurt me. It pushes out any sadness, anger or loneliness just by blessing them. So these are the two first most important steps of forgiving. The orphan spirit is a spirit of loneliness, and it's a spirit of like not knowing my identity. We know now from modern psychological science, the same science that both Catholic psychologists and even non-believing psychologists use and agree upon, is that the identity of our sons and daughters is a gift of the Father. The Father is the one who gives his sons and daughters their deep ontological identity. So the orphan spirit is the spirit of not knowing who you are, because you don't know that you are loved. We ask the Lord to free London and England from any orphan spirit. We are no longer orphans. Our Lord Jesus Christ died to make us children of his Father. No longer lonely, no longer orphaned, but with the best father possible. He loves every single person in England, even those who practice witchcraft and mortal sin. He loves them too. And if we would all experience the love of the Father, a joy would come to us and sin would begin to drop away naturally.
1: Thank you. I think that's a perfect moment to listen to Good Good Father from Chris Tomlin so do listen to the lyrics and remember what a good father we have in heaven. It's who you are, and I am loved by you. This is Radio Maria. We are live from our London studio with our special guest this afternoon, Father Jim Blount. Father Jim has just given a conference here at London's Rosary Shrine on fatherhood, and so we've been talking about the goodness of God the Father. Now, I was very struck um This weekend, Father Jim, when you mentioned um, a new insight you'd received into uh, the book of Tobit, which has been in our readings this week, and I wondered if you could share that with us.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes, I was meditating on the scriptures early in the morning uh, during Holy Mass and then later during the day, and I felt prompted to share this publicly with God's people. So on Friday, the whole week we've been studying from the Holy Book of Tobit in the Old Testament. It's a marvelous book. Everyone listening should consider reading that book. It's very short but profound. But in this particular episode that we were studying from Tobit, Raphael, the angel, is coming home with Tobiah. He was an angel sent from God in heaven to guide young Tobiah on his journey to find a holy wife. So this book speaks of the holiness of matrimony, but it also speaks in a special way of the love of a father for his son. So Tobit is the father and Tobiah is the young son. And Tobit sent Tobiah out with the help of a messenger, it was Raphael in disguise. And when Raphael uh, led uh, Tobiah to the place to find his holy wife from another Israelite family, They were on their way home with a new bride, and Tobiah is walking back with Raphael, again who's disguised just as a friend or as a family member. And so he's not known as Raphael, he's known as as Azariah, but he is actually the angel. As they're walking home, he gives Tobiah special advice for his dad. His dad, Tobit, is a great man a man great in justice and sanctity, an outstanding example in the Bible of a righteous man. And suddenly he's gone blind. It's the funniest story in the world. It's kind of unusual, but he was doing something holy. He was he was burying the dead who had no one to bury them, and he went back to his house and took a nap. And the Holy Bible says that a pigeon, a bird, on the wall uh, actually dropped his droppings right into into Tobit's eyes. And his eyes slowly became completely blind. And this good and righteous and holy man is now stumbling about with blindness. All he does in his life is good. And he gets paid back, so to speak, with something evil. And yet we'll learn later that this was allowed by God to prove his holiness. In any case, when his son uh, Tobiah is coming back home victoriously with his beautiful new bride and with the angel, he runs up to his daddy, and it's quite beautiful the way this is actually written. I'm going to quote from the Holy Bible from the first reading from Friday's Mass, from Tobit chapter 11. It says, Tobit got up and stumbled out through the courtyard gate. Tobiah, the son, went up to him with the fish gall in his hand. He had fish gall in his hand because the holy angel Raphael, the healing angel, taught him that this gall could heal his father's blindness. And so it says Tobiah, holding his father firmly, blew into his eyes, and he said, Courage, father! Next, he smeared the medicine on his father's eyes and it made them smart, it made them, in other words, sting. Then, beginning at the corner of Tobit's eyes, Tobiah, the son, used both hands to peel off the cataracts. When Tobit now saw his son, he could now see, he threw his arms around him and wept. And he exclaimed, I can see you, son, the light of my eyes. He said, Blessed be God, and blessed be his great name. It's quite a beautiful story, a story of a healing miracle and of perseverance. The insight, though, that our Lord gave me a few days ago would be this, that Tobit represents God the Father, and Tobiah the Son represents Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed be his name. And Tobiah comes home with a secret medicine for his father's eyes, who now has become blind. The Bible says that God cannot look upon sin. He cannot look at me when I'm in sin. He loves me, but he has to turn away because my sins, so to speak, blind him. He weeps and he weeps over this. So the Father's eyes became blinded to me because of my sins. But Jesus had the medicine. From his own body and, yes, from his gall, his gallbladder, he took the blood that he shed at Calvary and he brought it home to his Father in heaven and he smeared that holy blood on his Father's eyes so his Father's eyes could open and see me without seeing the sin. And so the Son's blood wiped away my sins and in a certain mystical way opened the eyes of His Father so He could now look at me and see me. And so when the Father looks at me after holy baptism or after holy confession or even after holy communion, the Father exclaims in heaven, I can see you, Son, the light of my eyes. I can see you. And so the blood of Christ not only wipes away my sins, but you might say in a certain spiritual way, it's wiping away the blindness, the cataracts on the Father's eyes. I blind my Father when I sin, because he can't look at the shame of my sin. Light and darkness cannot coexist. And so in this holy reading, I see a beautiful analogy of God the Father and God the Son and the incredible power, the healing power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus heals me of my sins, but it also, you might say, heals the wound in the Father's heart. Here is a son who did not rebel against his father. Here is a son who obeyed his father all the way to the agony and the excruciating death of the cross and so in jesus the father sees someone who loves and does not rebel and the blood of this jesus this obedient blood heals my sinfulness which is basically rebellion but also heals the broken heart in the eyes of the father
1: thank you father jim and i just reiterate that if you don't know the book of tobit please do pick it up and read it from start to finish Another thing that really struck me, Father Jim, that you mentioned today was a physical apparition of God the Father to Mother Eugenia. Uh, I had never heard of this before. If you could just talk a little bit about that.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. This an extraordinarily beautiful apparition and message from heaven uh, to a Mother Eugenia. Um, her last name was Ravasio. She was an Italian nun and the name of the little booklet that she and her community publish with the complete approval of their bishop is called, The Father Speaks to His Children. And Mother Eugenia, I forget now the exact date of this, it wasn't that long ago though, um, I can't remember now, but it was in the last century, uh, maybe 1960s, 1970s, maybe even a little later than that, so within the lifetime of many of us listening. But the Father himself revealed to Mother Eugenia that he would come and speak to her. And so she made a novena and prayed for that day. And when the day came, she was filled with um, almost an ecstasy, a glorious joy within her. She knew that he was coming. She could feel it, you might say, in the air. And when he arrived, Mother Eugenia said, there was a whole, you might say, army or train of angels that came in first to the convent and followed by God the Father himself. And it was a more or less physical apparition. She saw him in front of her. He came into the convent and he sat down next to Mother Eugenia, right there in the parlor of the convent. He was glorious to behold, and was wearing the crown of his royal divinity. And he, by the way, was not wearing any form of shoes or sandals. But the Father was barefoot. His feet were bare. What an incredibly humble Father we have! Well, this beautiful crown spoke of his kingship and his majesty. But the father, when he sat down with Mother Eugenia, took the crown off of his head and placed it on the floor next to his feet. And he told Mother Eugenia, I don't want my children any more to tremble with fear when they think of me. I am not like a gruesome king, I am a loving father. Yes, I am a king, but I take my th- my crown off because I want them to love me as a papa, as a father, and not to be afraid of me as a king. And so this is quite a touching revelation from the Lord, and he gave her many beautiful words. And... If you would like me to, Elizabeth, I can actually quote one or two of the quotations from the Father to Mother Eugenia.
1: Please do. Thank you.
2: These have the imprimatur, just so our, our listeners know this. But the Father says this to every one of us. He says, I have already told you, and now I say it again. I cannot give my beloved son another time to prove my love for men, like another crucifixion in other words. I am now coming among them myself in order to love them and to make them know this love, assuming their image, their poverty. Look, he says, now I am putting aside my crown and all my glory to take on the appearance of an ordinary man. She she writes, Mother Eugenia, having assumed the appearance of an ordinary man, by placing his crown and his glory at his feet, he took the globe of the world and held it to his heart, supporting it with his left hand, and he sat down next to me. And Mother goes on to tell us in this beautiful little booklet, The Father said to her, This is the real purpose of my coming. And he gives to us three reasons. Listen to this. The Father says this to Mother Eugenia and to every one of us. First, I am coming to banish the excessive fear that my creatures have of me and to show them that my joy lies in being known and loved by my children, that is, by all mankind, present and future. My second reason for coming is this. I am coming to bring hope to men and to nations. How many have long since lost it? This hope will make them live in peace and security, working for their salvation. In other words, all is not lost. The Father comes to say to everyone in England, even those who may be atheists or lost in serious sin, your hope is not gone. You have hope in me. I will still help you. And thirdly, he says, I am coming to make myself known just as I am so that man's trust may increase together with their love for me, their father. He says, I have but one concern, to watch over all men and love them as my children.
1: Amen. Could we have a very quick word about private revelation so you can explain to a listener who might not know where private revelation fits yes, in the church? Yes,
2: that's a very important question. The first thing to understand is that private revelation, that title does not mean what many think it means. Many people think private means it's something you read in a closet. So there's public revelation, which basically is found in the Holy Bible for the most part, in the Bible and tradition, and there's private revelation. Now private doesn't mean it's not to be read out loud or has to be read in a secret room private means it was given to a private individual a baptized born-again spirit-filled catholic somewhere in the world receives a special word from god uh, for her church her parish her nation or even the world now it's the competent authority of the church that's been given a special charism to test this that's the work of the bishops in the magisterium they test these words any catholic can receive a prophetic word And every Catholic should be open to be receiving words from the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks about this in his letters to the Corinthians, that all of us can receive the gift of holy prophecy. There are special prophetic words that are for more than than just the person. So public revelation was given publicly to the twelve apostles with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's been approved for all time. But there are also revelations given, you might say, in a private way or better to a private person, but also destined for the church, not destined for the closet, for the church. So the public-private distinction does not mean one is good and one is bad. That's completely false. They are both gleamingly, marvelously good, fruitful and godly. The public revelation, we know from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and the Bible, good for man's salvation. The private revelation, those messages given to a private individual, but approved by the public magisterium of the Church, those revelations also assist man in his salvation. How could this be? You can see it around you. So many Catholics and Christians who have the faith are dead on their feet. There's a need to revive the Catholic faith in every generation, and many popes have spoken about this. So a private revelation is given to revive the public revelation, to make it more pertinent, more alive, more joyful. It assists the public revelation in being more easily understood, as St. Thomas Aquinas said, whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. So the Lord will give a message to someone in this culture, let's say here in England or in Italy, to speak to the people of that time. St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, said, I would have been condemned to the flames of hell forever if it had not been for private revelation." And so private revelation has a distinctive role to lead Teresa of Avila and all of us back into public revelation with perhaps a new and deeper insight. So we thank God for all of his gifts, and we thank him for public revelation and private revelation, with which both lead us to fall in love with God.
1: Thank you. That's so helpful. We're going to listen to a bit more music. This is Victory Belongs to Jesus.
3: No one can, no one will. Who will stand against the king? No one can, no one. Yeah! Hey.
1: tree belongs to Jesus. Amen. This is Radio Maria and a special broadcast. We're live from London with Father Jim Blount. This weekend, he gave a fantastic conference at St. Dominic's, the Rosary Shrine on fatherhood. Welcome back, Father Jim. Thank you. Father Jim, there was a lot of praying this weekend. Could you just say something about the power of prayer? And also what particularly struck me was, um, that the prayers you pray are, they're very simple. And sometimes we feel we need to perhaps impress God with our, our long prayers. And yeah, something about how prayer can be simple, but powerful.
2: Now, in fact, um, Elizabeth, uh, prayer has to be simple. as Again, has St. Newman said, that it's heart speaking to heart when we pray. And we have to avoid our prayer becoming completely or purely intellectual the lord when he gave us the commandment to love his father he said that you shall love the lord your god with all of your heart all of your soul then all of your mind and all of your strength now the reason i quote that from our savior is this jesus never said that first you must love the lord with all your mind And the way Jesus said things in the order in which he placed them, he who is perfect God and perfect man, the order is extremely important. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternal wisdom, he said we shall love the Father first with all of our hearts, first, first, first with your heart, then with your soul, then with your intellect and your mind, and then with your strength. And nothing can substitute for the heart. So I can memorize 10,000 catechisms tonight. That won't substitute for loving God with my heart. And so prayer from the heart tends to be simple. It's more or less, as Bishop Sheen would say, venerable Bishop Sheen of the United States of America, the new saint there, that a man says to his wife, I love you. And she never gets tired of hearing it. I love you, honey. I love you. He says the rosary is like that. It's like saying, I love you, I love you, I love you to God. So prayer from the heart is simple because it's the language of love. And our prayers tend to be more powerful when they're simple but honest. When they're complicated but phony, our prayers do not even rise above the ceiling of the house that we're in. They stay below the ceiling. But when our prayers are simple but honest, they penetrate the heavens within seconds. They penetrate the heavens. And so God's people need to know this. When we pray, we don't try to put on a show and dance for God. Don't do that. Don't put on a a song and dance. But rather, let your prayer, let God be impressed with your humility. Don't try to impress God with your prayers or with your intelligence but rather impress God with your humility and with your love. When prayer comes in that way, anything is possible. Jesus taught this in the Gospels that we could say to the mountain, be thrown into the sea and it will move. So prayer or faith that's exercised in simple prayer can move mountains. Complications are a warning sign. And we we know this in spiritual direction. So whenever our lives or our prayers become too complicated, there's something egotistical happening. It's not godly. St. Thomas Aquinas taught us that simplicity is one of the greatest virtues of God Almighty, a certain holy simplicity. In our own time, I saw that in Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. It's amazing. This is one brilliant man one of the greatest theologians of the last 100 years, maybe the greatest, but he spoke with a certain simplicity. And so let that be our mark, too, as Catholics here in England. Never try to impress God. Rather, let God be impressed by your sincerity. Just be real. I would say that the language of God, that God doesn't speak English or Spanish or French or Swahili or rather he speaks all of them but the language of heaven is truth god speaks the language of truth another way to put it is reality god speaks the language of reality so when we speak to god it doesn't matter what language you speak in but speak truth to god speak reality Prayer is absolutely all-powerful when it comes from a simple and humble place of love within our hearts. And I've seen this over and over again. I'm so blessed because I'm in the healing ministry and the exorcism ministry, and I have seen hundreds, thousands of miracles. My own cousin was Father Robert de Grandes. He's gone to his reward. But he was my Italian cousin, and he was in the healing ministry. So I I come, you might say, from a heritage of the awesome glory of God. And I know that God can do miracles for anyone, including any teenagers listening to this right now. God can work miracles. I prayed over a young lady in a wheelchair in Seattle, Washington, uh, just a few weeks ago. She is 27 in the wheelchair for 10 years completely paralyzed. Well, they brought her up to me at a healing service, and I simply i did a simple blessing, nothing complicated. I touched her with a relic of the True Cross. I touched her with the robe of Padre Pio. I told her that I loved her and God loved her, and I put a simple blessing on her forehead. They wheeled her out to the parking lot to make way because I had to pray for 500 more people. They brought her out to the parking lot when she proceeded to get up out of the wheelchair and walk. The next night I'm in the same church to do another healing service, and the most beautiful and radiant young woman in all of Seattle came to see me. I had no clue as to who she was. She was with a very nice young man. She shook my hand and said to me, Father, I came back to thank you. It was her i did not even recognize her she was radiant with the holy spirit walking perfectly with her her young her fiance and she wanted to thank me and i was glad that she was there because of her gratitude but i should say that jesus healed her i didn't heal her I prayed over her, though, with simple and childlike faith. I was in Lithuania a few months ago, and I went to shake the hand of an old man in the congregation because he looked, you know, kind of sad and, I, and maybe a little bit angry, and I wanted to cheer him up. I went to shake his hand in the first row. After one of my talks, he wouldn't shake my hand. The wife turned to me and said to me, surprisingly, she spoke English. I was in Lithuania. She said to me, "'Father, don't worry. He can't see you. He's blind.' I was wondering why he wouldn't shake my hand. I felt hurt, and now I felt, "'Oh, my gosh, I'm the goofball here.' I said, "'Sir, I'm so sorry.' I said, "'Mama, can I touch your husband's eyes "'with my hand and my cross?' "'Yes, Father.' So I reached over, and I touched his eyes "'with my holy cross and with my little fingers, "'and asked God to heal him, "'and then we broke for lunch.' When I came back a few minutes, well, half hour later, after our lunch break, my assistant came up to me and said, Father, do you know the gentleman you prayed over who was blind? Oh, sure. He was sitting in the front row. He said to tell me his wife told him that he is now beginning to see. I said, Fantastic. Tell them to stay to the end of the conference today and we'll have a healing service and I'll pray over him a second time. And so I did that. He stayed. I recognized him immediately. I touched his eyes a second time with the cross and with my fingers. And I asked the Lord to bring the healing to completion. He now was looking at me. And so I blessed him. He went home. The next day I received a call from that family. He has been completely 100% healed. He sees with 20-20 vision. Prayer is all-powerful. There is nothing we can't accomplish with prayer. Prayer is the power of God the Father working through His loving children in the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer is something beautiful and it is a heritage, an inheritance of all of God's sons and daughters, including in a special way His priest. We all have access to this gift. God's power is at the service of His love. God's power is at the service of His love. He loves everyone. If we love Him in return, we access that power. Because when we love Him, we let Him into our hearts, and His love is all-powerful. So I find that prayer, when it's simple and humble and from the heart, whether it's coming from a bishop, a priest, a layman, or a teenager can be and is all powerful god loves us and he desires to work miracles and bestow blessings on every single man woman and child in england no exception he wants to bestow miracles on the human race wants to bestow miracles on england and so yes i find prayer to be incredible and all powerful and more than that prayer is my heart uniting in love with god There's a special prayer that we did give to everyone this weekend, and it's the prayer that God the Father gave to Mother Eugenia. And the Heavenly Father is asking all of us to pray this first thing in the morning when we arise, because we have a a tendency to forget God, and we certainly have forgotten the beauty of the Father. He wants us to reestablish our sonship or our daughtership first thing in the morning, and to remind ourselves how much we are loved. And so there's a prayer called Fiat to the Will of the Eternal Father. It's a simple prayer. It's short. I I memorize it so I say it every morning wherever I wake up in the world. And it puts me on the right footing from the first second of my day. I am the Son of the Father. And you who are listening, you are his beloved son or his beloved daughter. God loves us, and this allows us to return that love elizabeth can i say this prayer and perhaps you could answer after me phrase by phrase absolutely in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen the morning prayer to be said upon arising my beloved father
1: my beloved father
2: thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven
1: Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
2: Be thou my father.
1: Be thou my father.
2: Be always my eternal father. Be
1: always my eternal father.
2: Do not leave my soul.
1: Do not leave my soul. Do
2: not abandon me.
1: Do not abandon me.
2: Do not leave me out of your sight, my father.
1: Do not leave me out of your sight, my father.
2: For I am your child.
1: For I am your child,
2: whom you have created to please you,
1: whom you have created to please you.
2: "'To adore you.'
1: "'To adore you.'
2: "'To honour you.'
1: "'To honour you.'
2: "'living my days as you have given me the licence to live it.'
1: Living my days as you have given me the licence to live it.' "'I
2: offer to you my fiat.'
1: "'I offer to you my fiat.'
2: "'Through Mary.'
1: "'Through Mary.'
2: "'To Jesus.'
1: "'To Jesus.'
2: "'To you, Eternal Father.'
1: "'To you, Eternal Father.' "'Amen.' "'Amen' Thank you so much, Father Jim, for your time. And we very much look forward to welcoming you back to Britain next time you come. Perhaps we could finish with a blessing.
2: Yes, Elizabeth, the Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
2: Father God, we adore you profoundly. And we wait for the day we know it's been prophesied when every single person in England will bow down to worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. We love England, my Lord, and we love everyone in England, and you love them even more. We ask through the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that every single man, woman, and child in England in the United Kingdom would be touched by the Spirit of your love, would experience the joy of your salvation, and would one day inherit eternal life may mighty god bless elizabeth and all who listen to this broadcast and all of england in the holy name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and may mary pray for all of you and then your salvation will be assured amen
1: amen
0: This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programs. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programs like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our
3: listeners.